Halloween is a non-religious, at least for Americans, holiday, and it has, you know, its origins in European paganism. I think it feels more like it applies to everyone and people aside from extreme right-wing christians people don't really get like who doesn't love halloween mormons i said right-wing christians i uh i knew a family uh in my neighborhood that they did not let their kids out during halloween they're like it's a devil's holiday you're not allowed to do anything they're not wrong and i know (laughs) yeah if you think it's a fucking devil's holiday right you don't want to let your kids out your kids should have, you know, you're, yeah, stay it inside, is, kids. It is this ain't the for you. Holiday, though. Yes. I, I know, but at, the, but at the same time, it's, it's, we Americanized it to the point where it's, you can dress up as, you know, Sailor Moon and get Kit Kat bars. That's fucking awesome. But that's Satan. That's freedom. The, and, the, and there's a little Satan in there. Well, I think you, and I certainly, I've written about this before. I know lots of academics have. You could make this case drawing a line between representations of Satan and freedom. Like Satan as symbolic of liberation from religious constraints. And it's all over actually Victorian and slightly pre-Victorian literature. So it ties into everything we're talking about. I fucking love the devil. Evil backwards is live, you know? All right, all right. I mean, it's it's true. Start the episode here. Welcome to Twitch of the Death Nerd, a cult movie podcast that takes a deep dive into a different film each episode. Our wide-ranging discussions will touch on genre, culture, and the history of psychotronic cinema. I'm Charles. I'm Sam. I'm John. And right now, at the time of recording, we're just a few days shy of October 1st, and we are feeling it, folks. There's a crisp chill in the night air, a faint smell of burning leaves off in the distance, and a psycho primordial pull from deep in our hearts to eat bat-shaped candy and hang out with our favorite October boys, Cushing, Price, and Lee. And this week, we're discussing Terrence Fisher's 1967 Hammer Horror classic, Frankenstein Created Woman. Frankenstein. The name stands for fear. Frankenstein. He shocks the world as he mocks the devil. Frankenstein. He creates monsters of men. Frankenstein's most terrifying experiment comes to life. Frankenstein created woman. Who am I? Who am I? A shield of indestructible matter. What is it for? What is it for? To give life after death, my friend, that's what it's for. Life after death. Peter Cushing as Baron Frankenstein, who crosses swords with Satan in his fight for immortality. He lives. See, hence he's... All right, and this synopsis is according to our collective childhood lifeblood for all things horror, Turner Classic Movies. 
In a 19th century Balkan village, Baron Frankenstein and Dr. Hertz conduct scientific experiments in an endeavor to transfer the souls of dead humans into other bodies. Their assistant, Hans, is a local boy ostracized by the villagers because his father was guillotined for murder years earlier. One night, while visiting his girlfriend, Christina, a cripple with a birthmark on her otherwise pretty face, Hans is unjustly accused of murdering an innkeeper and is sentenced to the same fate that befell his father. Christina witnesses the execution of her beloved and, overcome by despair, drowns herself in a river. Frankenstein and Dr. Hertz recover both corpses and succeed in bringing Christina back to life with no sign of either her lameness or facial blemish. And as part of the experiment, they give her Hans's soul. As a result, the young woman is consumed with Hans's passion for revenge, and she sets out to kill the three youths responsible for the innkeeper's death. Uh, that plot description doesn't mention that the innkeeper is Christina's father. I actually edited out the end of this plot description because it just says the end of the fucking movie. That's not very helpful. Yeah, Turner Classic Movies really, uh, yeah. like, they assumed you weren't going to actually watch it. And they were like, <laughs> here's the fucking TV guide for you. But I mean, what a fucking heartbreaking film this is. Like, that was one thing that really kind of took me by surprise was I didn't remember it being so sad. I mean, all of the Frankensteins are more mean-spirited than any of the other Hammer movies in my book. Yeah. They all have the same thesis, which is that regular people are horrible and the monsters should be pitied. And you really, I think, feel a sense of vindication when he throws some... And I say he in you know the more typical adaptations, but he or she throws people off the tops of buildings and drowns people and it just it's one of the few series where you're like yes kill that village person kill that normal ass village person yeah it's very anti-mob mentality and i think also maybe the reason a lot of horror nerds like frankenstein so much is when you're a weirdo little kid who loves horror movies and you get bullied, it's, I think, the sort of thing that you can identify with on some level that you're probably not even fully aware of. You really feel for this monster every time. In every one of these movies that we've seen, it's kind of like that, like, I never chose to be born thing that we all... Yeah, yeah, I feel that every day. <laughs> you know, like yeah. this wasn't this life was not my choice yeah. and this life sucks. And like that's really what the monster kind of consistently goes through in almost all of especially the the Hammer Frankenstein. I mean, films. I think all of them have this message that if you're different you'll be bullied, especially if your difference is external. I feel like there are also these really interesting themes tied to class. Like if you have wealth, you can get away with any number of things, especially in these Hammer movies, that regular blue collar or poor people can't get away with. This one especially. Like those fucking asshole kids. Oh my fucking God. They They're not even kids. They're grown ass men who act like 10 year olds. Yeah, they remind me of uh, like the Droogies. They're in... like Trump's kids, though. Yeah, definitely. They're, yeah, for sure. They're a bunch of fucking. Because they're just like, wait until my father hears about yeah, this. Yeah, they're all rich kid, basically useless, like grew up. All they do is go to this bar and drink, and they never pay their bill. And. Yeah, I my first vibe was like the Clockwork Orange Droogie characters, but like. 
not as yeah but i feel like and it's interesting you bring them up because i do think within british cult cinema there are a ton of movies from the mid 60s to the early 70s that look at these sort of gangs of violent pent-up youth and it's sort of connected to these larger themes about fears of youth culture and stuff like that and here they're just kind of you just hate them yeah they're just rich assholes you know it's interesting that you bring up about how having money lets you get away with things in this movie and it's it's we're, all these movies have a loose continuity, but in this one, Frankenstein's not on the run. Everybody calls him Frankenstein. They know who he is, and nobody really... Yeah, each one in this series, you were saying this the other day, it feels kind of like a soft reboot. Like, they yes. don't, like, they maintain some elements from previous The entries. second one feels... Yeah, the most like an actual sequel. Yeah, the second one for sure. But after that, they just... Well, they're far apart. Like, the second one was made directly after... Then the third one was like a few years later, and then... The fourth one is even... Yeah, so yeah. I don't think we've said, but there are technically seven movies in the series, and they're made over a period of like 15, 16 years. And so there are lots of weird sort of fits and starts, and like number six is a total reboot with a different actor playing Baron Frankenstein. Oh yeah, that's the only one that I actually haven't seen. I kind of love it. I've so I've watched this entire series. This was the series that got me into Hammer Horror. Growing up with you, John, every October you kind of would push them on me a little bit, and right. I'd be like, "This shit's boring. Can yeah. we watch fucking Dawn of the Dead again?" It drives me crazy. Yeah, you know, I, I w- you know, I was a little fucking snot nose, and you're not alone though. I like, I know I've complained about this before, but just it frustrates me so much, especially when I was younger. Like John, I would watch these movies in September and October and it would help me get hyped for the season. And so many of my friends who were into like Fulci and like you're saying zombie movies thought that these were all really kind of stuffy and boring and they had all these Victorian settings, but it's like, there's so much going on and some of them are vile. Like there's crazy shit. Oh, absolutely. This was the series that got me into hammer. I, I basically like marathon them over the course of two days, skipping the one that didn't have Peter Cushing in it. And like and that kind of mirrors like when I was a kid and I watched the Halloween movies. I skipped <laughs> the third one. What the fuck? I mean, so I was makes... like, ah, you know, I was there for the fucking dumb white mask and little stabby stab. You just wanted to see William Shatner. Yeah, I mean, I was a dumb fucking piece of shit when I was a kid. You know? And but but once once the Frankenstein movies like hit me, it, it was fucking game on and now finally i could i was watching every hammer movie and get my hands on and then also like stepping back a little bit because i realized like oh shit this is an october special thing right i need to watch like three or four a year you watch a couple of my favorites i gotta i'm gonna live a long fucking time sam i gotta i gotta have some things to look forward to every october yeah but you've got goldfish memory so you could watch them (laughs) you could watch them all today and they would feel new next halloween (laughs) this is true yeah i'm I'm the opposite i have to like sit on them for a few years and then they're fresh again yeah i always try to like watch them with somebody who's never seen one before if I watch it, yeah. If I watch it with somebody who hasn't seen it before, okay. Yeah, there's there's a a word for that. It's the opposite of deja vu. It's jamais tu, where deja vu is when you've never done something before, 
but it feels like, oh, I've done this, you know? Um, jamais tu is when you've done something a million times, and then when you do it again, it feels like the first time, every time you do it. That's a great feeling. It is. I have that a lot with movies. So I think in some ways I'm the opposite of you. Like I've seen every single Hammer horror movie and thriller. And yeah. this is a lot. <laughs> but I still like I don't watch them all every single year. But I still it just love that feeling. Yeah. No, for sure. Th- these are very, very special movies in that way. You and know what one I haven't watched in like 10 years that I'm watching this October which? and I'm psyched? The Devil Rides Out. Oh, oh it's so good. Didn't I made watched Charles that last watch year? that last yeah, year. Yeah, that one's cool. Doesn't Christopher Lee have a uh, a funny bit of he's facial hair in that? He's a good guy. He has a goatee and he's a good guy. Wow, that really doesn't check out. The thing I remember the most, there's a scene where like they're in a circle and they have With to the stay giant in, yes they have to stay in the circle or the evil will get them and i was like this is fucking rules like i can't wait to rewatch this yeah that movie's awesome they there are definitely some different sort of phases of hammer and so they started in the 30s and 40s and as a, as a studio and didn't really find their footing until the 50s when they made Horror of Dracula and Curse of Frankenstein in 57 and 58. So you have that like first couple of years where they're really finding their footing. They also made a mummy movie. But then by the mid 60s, you kind of have reached the second phase, which is where uh, Frankenstein created woman fits. And that's when I think they they know they have a following. They they know what their identity is, for lack of a better word. And they're willing to try crazy things. And so you get some satanic horror like The Devil Rides Out, which came before Rosemary's Baby. So it was, I think, trailblazing in ways that it doesn't get recognized for. For sure. There's a proto slasher called Hands of the Ripper. That's, oh my God, that's it's great. so good. Yeah. That's Is that 68? Yeah, it's early. It's awesome. And it's another one in my head. I put it together with Frankenstein Created Woman because both that and Hands of the Ripper have female protagonists who are the killers who are being possessed by spirits of dead men, basically. Yeah, it is a good double feature. Whoa. It is. That's so sick. I think the the one that really put them on the map, though, was they, they did the adaptations of the Quatermass movies. Those are so creepy. Yeah, they're fantastic. And they those and they, I'm saving. That's my. I think this October I'm gonna I'm gonna go to Quatermass yeah, World. Yeah, let's all do three. It. They just get yeah. better each one. And uh, experiment is just spelled X experiment. Because it was going to get rated X, and they wanted to capitalize on it. So awesome. Wow. And I love how a British rated X movie is like one where some lady shows, shows her, her ankles. ankles. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Somebody says bloody hell, and there's an X yeah. rating. <laughs> it's a fucking category three movie. That's really <laughs> funny, is is that these movies, they're, they're considered like charming and, and naive and just like all the edges are roughed out of them. And really back when they were come out, they were like the shocking new thing. You weren't seeing cleavage like that. You weren't and to seeing be honest, blood. A lot of kids get killed. So like, I know I was just saying that they are pretty like quaint. Some of them do fucking go there. I feel like they have a reputation for being quaint that they don't deserve. Uh, absolutely. I, I, that was what my dumb idiot child brain thought about them. And why I didn't like them is because I'm like, oh, this is boring. It's a bunch of fucking guys with 
fucking five last names and like pointy ass <laughs> chins in a castle not spilling blood all every five fucking minutes. And I'm like, well, why aren't we watching Return of the Living Dead? But I realized that they are setting a fucking mood that is the breath and heartbeat of October. And then when the blood does come, it's 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 a nice flash. It's a nice, like, there it is, and it's this beautiful bright red. It's just, it's terrific. It's And uh, they're great. I mean, I think teenage you represents a lot of sort of more mainstream horror fans that this sort of thing feels dusty and sort of too tightly wound but there's just so much going on and i mean there are even crazy movies like the gorgon and the reptile where you have these totally psycho interpretations of a werewolf myth and people are transforming and they've got all these themes about British colonialism as being totally evil. Yeah. And Peter Cushing just, he has so many great roles oh for God. Hammer. I, I love him so much. I mean, like Dr. Frankenstein though. He's, he's the ultimate Dr. Frankenstein. He, he truly is. And I need to get my hands on whatever fucking drugs that he's doing that keep his eyeballs and his pupils as these perfect pinpricks. I wish I could say it was some sort of cocaine solution, but no. Peter Cushing didn't do any drugs. No. They're bath salts. He was they, high on life. He was a total gentleman. Yeah. And I mean, his fucking face. He's got a face that could cut glass. And not only that, there's like cat-like movements. Like yeah, he would just so do it. They would just dense. come out of nowhere. Yeah, really. He does some stunts in some of these movies. And like, it's amazing how he like is so young in the first one by Peter Cushing standards. Yeah. By the later ones, like even in Frankenstein Created Woman, but especially in Frankenstein Monster from Hell, he has this like haunted look in his eye. Like in the first one, he has like his standard like sort of like translucent skeletal skin and bones. But like he he's got this like virility and this kind of charm that even though like he is like a like a fucking psycho dude, he's not really scary. He's just kind of cool. Well, he's almost scary because he and we were talking about this a little bit yesterday we had this great Frankenstein marathon that ended with Frankenstein and the monster from hell, which is the last one in the series. And it just struck me how totally amoral his character is, which is why he is able to win you over or win the other characters over in a lot of the movies, because when it is convenient for him or when he's trying to get something he wants, he can be really polite and charming. He's got these great manners but really, he just has one objective, which I think is what makes him scary overall. He reminds me more of H.P. Lovecraft's uh, Herbert West character than Mary yeah. Shelley's Frankenstein. And and even like throughout the series, it's like say you were to look at the whole series as like a whole, his like single-minded focus to constantly be fucking creating a monster and reanimating corpses and like doing gross experiments is so Herbert West. It's like this compulsion. He has no control over it. And like and it, it just drives every aspect of him is to fucking do this weird gross out shit. And it's just like to him the ends justify the means. Like he can scheme the most horrendous plots, not feel guilty about it whatsoever. And even when it blows up in his face and the whole fucking town gets butchered, he just moves on and tries again. Who is it? May we see you a moment, Doctor? Hide this first. 
All right, answer it. She drowned herself, Doctor. Is there anything you can do? Do? Do what? A miracle? No, I'm sorry. There's nothing I can do. Dr. Hertz and I will do what we can. Bring her in. Yeah, it's interesting to look at the way that mad scientists sort of develop throughout horror, like from Mary Shelley's novel, which is the first horror novel, the first science fiction novel, the first representation of a mad scientist through to the late 50s and specifically to 1960 when all these movies kind of blew up at once. Like you've got Hammer's Frankenstein, you've got Franju's Eyes Without a Face, which is one of the best horror films of all time, but has a similar doctor character who's experimenting on young women and is just has this single purpose and doesn't care about anything else and even jess franco and awful dr orloff which i think is also 60 or 61 it's like they all have the same kind of vibe that seems to translate across cultures even the blood island movies oh yeah yeah (laughs) those movies fucking rock yeah i wonder if that is like in the 50s, the Atomic Age movies where scientists were doing these like grandiose, destructive things. And then later they kind of it became more internal and more personalized and like smaller scale. But there still was that like massive distrust for scientists. Well, I think and their plights. a lot of it also has to do with, you know, my favorite thing to harp about, which is World War Two. Because people didn't really find out about the horrible medical experimentation going on until into the 50s and early 60s when you started to get these concentration camp trials that made international news. And for the first time, survivors would talk about what happened and they would interview Nazi guards. And likewise, they started to learn more about... um, Unit 731 in China and what the Japanese were doing. And so I think a lot of this coming out is directors either consciously or unconsciously responding to these awful events that people were just learning on a mass scale happened. Like science can be used in great ways, but can also be just revolting and terrible depending on Sam you have to write a book on World War two I know (laughs) (laughs) but even even on a on a more surface level I mean the I that pulp novel idea of a guy trying to take over the world was was real in World War two there's one tiny little dude that got really mad and he's like you know what everyone's gonna pay yeah vegetarian painters and uh, okay and speaking of fucking pulp novel shit I love the way Frankenstein is introduced in this movie. I'm talking about oh my God, it's Frankenstein so, yeah. created so a woman, of perfect. course. Yes. So he's it, it opens up on him and he's dead in a coffin and his two like kind of bumbling assistants revive him, bring him back to life. And it's so great. Like they're as soon as he comes back, they're so jazzed that oh it shit, worked. The experiment was a success. <laughs> and he's just nonplussed. He doesn't give a fuck and he's like looking off in the distance and he's like talking about souls. Which which is a little wacky when you think about the novel and the adaptations as a whole, 
because they tend to be so narrowly focused on reanimation of dead tissue. Yeah, and, and here it's, it's like he just goes into this full on mystical yeah. soul capture. For sure. <laughs> this, this is the only one with like a supernatural element like that, which makes it stand out. Take that foul smelling stuff away, please. He lives. See, hence he's alive. I'm alive. Didn't I tell you I would be? Oh, yes, but... Hertz, I am constantly surprised at your lack of faith in my work. But you were dead, was he not, Hertz? Technically, yes. But my soul had not left my body. For one whole hour, I was dead. For one hour, my body had died. And yet my soul remained. Now, why? Where was it? Was it... Was it trapped within me? Could it be trapped forever? Could I... Could I trap it myself? The, the, the mysticism and the esoteric nature of this movie is, is very unique to this particular series. And it makes this movie have a very different kind of soul to it <laughs> <laughs> that the others don't have. What's funny about this movie is because with the supernatural element aside, it feels the most grounded. Yeah. Like it's got like small town, like class politics and like prejudices and like, oh, that guy, his dad was a killer and stuff. And it, and all the Frankenstein yeah. shit is actually like in the background that's just yeah, there for it's, like it's to, just kind of like humming around to propel yeah. the story when it needs to be. Even like Frankenstein's lab compared to like the first one where it's in this dark gothic castle. It's in the basement somewhere and it's it looks like a lot more practical. House. He's he's got a little smaller thing going on. It's definitely Well, that's I think so this one is far and away my favorite in the series closely followed by Frankenstein and the Monster from Hell, but... I think that's kind of where I'm at. Oh, it's so good. But the thing that I love so much about this is exactly what you're saying, that I think it took me a while to figure out that that's why I loved it, is the movie spends so much more time than anyone in the the rest of the series, like, letting you get to know the small-town characters, and even his assistant isn't his typical y no. ambitious young man. It's Thorley Walters, who's like 60. He's this alcoholic town doctor who is like the sweetest, most lovable man. Where am I? Hmm? What has all this to do with conquering death? Do I have to spell it for you? Yes, you do. I am a muddlehead. I'm a broken down, drunken old muddlehead. And you have to spell it for me. One dies because the body dies, not the soul. Death is a physical thing, not spiritual. The body deteriorates or is broken in some way or just decays, but the soul remains alive. Now, if I can transfer the soul to my apparatus, repair the damaged body, and then return the soul, I have conquered death. He's not dumb-dumb. But he's a little slow he's, on well, the uptake, he's, and he's an alcoholic. Even, it's his, not even that he's slow on the uptake, because he's a good doctor. He's just not a genius. So, so yes, next to Peter he's Cushing. He's a regular guy. Yeah, he's used to, like, bandaging up arms, you know. And not, giving illegal abortions. Yeah, <laughs> right, yeah, and, yeah. And not <laughs> removing arms and sticking them onto, like, 
I don't know, like fucking street posts and having that shit come to life. Frankenstein does some fucked up shit in these does movies. Some really he's always learning. Movies. He's always <laughs> he learning. Always learning. But in, in, and in this one, when he, <laughs> so the lover, she kills herself after she witnesses her boyfriend Hans's execution, and they fucking they fish her out of the river, get a hold of her corpse, and fucking juice her back up, bring her back to life. But in the meantime. They get Hans's like severed head or his body or whatever, and they find this. They cr- capture his soul. They capture his soul in the giant soul capturing machine. Yeah, so they got <laughs> this guy's fucking soul. It's awesome. It's they, so awesome. They get his soul and they put it in her body. And usually the movies are about them getting the perfect brain, right? And in this one, they're doing soul shit. Well, and they also do this other crazy reversal where Christina, for the first half of the movie is disabled, disfigured, the left side of her body. She's had some kind of stroke or some kind of disability so that her left leg and her left arm don't work very well. But she also has this scarring and discoloration on her face that she usually hides with her hair. And when they bring her back to life, Frankenstein realizes that he he go- basically goes in with Thorley Walter's help because his hands are badly burned. And so he can't do these like minute surgical incisions anymore, but they f- they quote unquote fix her. So she looks normal. And I think this is one of the first movies where you start with somebody who looks monstrous and turning them or who other people in the film yeah think. it's a flip on the on the classic yeah. frankenstein story where you have regular people and parts of people put in a blender put them in a blender <laughs> and then you get uh, some sort of monstrous thing and in this they start with the quote monstrous thing but really she's just she's she's fine she's fine you know but but and everybody makes her life oh miserable God, except for hans the scene who loves her. when he shows up and she immediately covers up her hair and he's like just talking to her and he's Oh my god, it's so so sweet. And when those fucking scumbags show up to the bar and they like demand her to come out to pour their drinks and she's like kind of hobbling over and spilling them and they're just being so terrible to her and Hans is there and he's just like vibrating. Like he is fucking furious. Well, and she has that heartbreaking line. So there's this one great scene where she and Hans are alone together at night in her room. And She explains that she's leaving the following day to go see this faraway doctor and that her father hasn't really shown her any affection and he doesn't want to be seen with her, but maybe he's not such a bad father because all the money he earns, he takes into trying to get her to go to these expensive doctors and maybe they can fix her. And it's so heartbreaking because Hans is like, you don't need to be fixed. You're fine the way you are. Like, move your hair out of your face. And then (sighs) as soon as that happens, you're like, oh, no, they're both going to (laughs) die. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Don't forget when they're like shacked up together and then you can hear the rich guys go up to her bedroom window and start taunting her. Oh, oh my God. Shit. That song they sang oh. was motherfuckers. Wow. And that you can see Hans is like, yeah, ready to set them on fire. He's ready to fucking kill. Ready to kill. <laughs> Sweet Christina, fair of face, blessed with beauty, filled with grace. Lonely on your virgin bed, you'll stay a virgin till you're dead. No, Hans, no. In your dreams, a handsome lad, 
comes creeping to your virgin bed. Hide your face, don't let him see. One look at it, and he will flee. I could kill them. No. Sweet Christina, don't you cry. It won't be long before you die. Then from the heavens, a star will fall for the ugliest angel <coughs> of them all. For the ugliest angel oh. of them all. <laughs> Forget them, Hans. Love me. Which Love is me. What I was saying earlier, like I feel like these Frankenstein movies are so unique in the way that they make you root for the deaths of ordinary people. Like you don't, <laughs> yeah. you don't get yeah. that in Dracula yeah. no, movies. In, in the original one, you're like, yeah, fucking these villagers. I want Frankenstein to throw every single fucking one of them off of the, the highest thing. What were you saying the other day? Oh John? yeah, <laughs> Frankenstein's weapon of choice is, is heights. Heights, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Gravity and height. That's what he does. He throws people off shit real high up. That's what happens when you can pick people up over your head and you also live in a castle. Mm. Right off the battlements. Yeah. Oh, gosh. Yeah, you know, I don't want to sound like um, wishing I was in the upper class, but fuck. If I had a big-ass castle and people showed up my house, I'd throw them right off the fucking balcony. She carries his head around. Isn't that so fun? I always forget about that part until it comes up where like they dig up Hans's grave and then like the head's missing. Like where could the head be? And it's just in her bedroom with her. It always, it always just like, oh yeah, I forgot about that. It's that great little flourish in the yeah. movie. And, and, and she so, talks to him. Well, and she has yeah. this like split dichotomy when she has, she has his soul, but she still has her brain. So it's not like she isn't herself. She's just like has like two spirits like within her. She doesn't her. know who she is, and she yeah. she asks frequently throughout the film, "But who am I?" And fucking Doctor Frankenstein, as likable as he is in moments, he's so dismissive of not only his patients when he has them, because definitely in some of these movies. He works in uh, poor clinics. He works in mental asylums in two of the movies. Well, he works in those fucking poor clinics to farm corpses. For a reason. Oh, wow, look at your hands. They're perfect. That's, <laughs> what, I, that's what I was going to say, his, his quote-unquote patients. But whenever, whenever he has human or monster patients, he's such a dick to them. Like He's yeah. got the worst bedside manner. Yeah, well, like, well, what does she ask for when she first comes back? Like, um, um, what's my name? What's Who my am name? I? Can oh. I see myself? Oh, she wants a mirror. Yeah, yeah, she wants to, like, look at her face. And he's like, nonsense, go lay down. Yeah. <laughs> I actually think this is the nicest he is in any of the movies. Yes, that's correct. That's insane. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, true. no, you're, yeah, you're right. Jesus Christ. I yeah, remember reading when they were making the first one, like, they were trying to find ways to make it different from the Universal one so they couldn't get sued. Yes, Universal is super pissed. One of the orders that came from the producers to, I think it was Jimmy Sangster that wrote the first one, mm -hmm. was make Frankenstein a shit. Yeah. That was the way to like, okay, this is how the movie's going to be different. For sure. And it's it's so funny how you constantly, whenever like growing up my whole life, when you say Frankenstein, you mean the monster. Right. You know? 
And after watching these movies, it means the doctor. It means the doctor. And it's not even a question. Like, it's not even like a thing that's like in my head where it's like, did you know the killer actually was Jason's mom? You know, it's like, <laughs> no, Frankenstein is the doctor. You know, it's not like a little piece of trivia to trip you up. Yeah, but I think also it's funny because yesterday for our Frankenstein marathon, one of the things that we watched was Bride of Frankenstein which I hadn't seen in a little while. And the reminder of just how different Colin Clive's Dr. Frankenstein is from Peter Cushing. It's like in those universal movies, Frankenstein is Boris Karloff or, you know, Lon Chaney Jr., Bela Lugosi, like all of the big name actors who played the monster in the original Frankenstein series. But his doctor just kind of, is so washed out compared to Peter Cushing. He's he like barely has much of a screen presence other than seeming really neurotic and kind of like wrapped up in his own brilliance, but but not in a way that's really engaging. Or, no, or he's like not it's not, it's not drawing. With, with Colin Clive, it feels like he has an idea that he can't get out of his head and has to do. Well, with Peter Cushing, it's like his engine. It's what he needs to do. Yeah. I mean, that's why he feels to me like Herbert West. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, he just needs to fucking <laughs> sew on arms to shit. That's like his shit. What's that quote where it's like, knowledge is knowing Frankenstein is the scientist and the monster is the monster. Wisdom is knowing Frankenstein is the monster. And I think that's what all of these movies stress is that the monster is this poor innocent victim of some guy's obsession with his own genius that that whole hubris yeah that whole idea of like can you do something but should you do it and i do think a lot of these movies to come out in the late 50s and 60s like i know that we have talked amongst ourselves about the flesh and the fiends and there are a lot of these movies that look at sort of Victorian era grave robbing and early medical experimentation. And there's this really interesting kind of tension between the two, because if you look at it when it's happening, it's like people breaking the law in the name of science. Like they're figuring out things the only way that would allow us to get modern medicine. But these movies look at the opposite side where it's like, look at these cold amoral bastards who just have no regard for human life and instead of making these incredible discoveries and figuring out like with his enormous brain he could figure out how to prolong existing life rather than just like recklessly killing people throughout all of the series just so that he can like chop their hands off that's another thing like He's conquered death multiple times. Mm -hmm. He could live in every movie. He conquers death. He could live forever. Be a quazillionaire for coming up with the greatest thing ever. But he just wants to fuck it. But he needs to make a person. (laughs) He just wants to sow feet on people. He just wants to. He's such a fucking creep. He just wants to top (laughs) God. That's it. He just wants to be like, yo, I'm better than you. I mean, I feel like he kind of has proven that. Although I do really wish that they did more with that element in the series because at the end of the second movie, there's this crazy shit where he like, he can't get out of the scrape that he's in. So he lets himself die and has his assistant bring him back to life. 
And that's also, as we were saying, what happens in the beginning of Frankenstein Created Woman is he has them put him in the fucking deep freeze just to know that he can, through someone else, resuscitate himself. And it's like, okay, can we get like a zombie Frankenstein movie, a zombie Dr. Frankenstein where he's like grafted other people's hands onto his own? Honestly, if this <laughs> series had continued on, that's absolutely what we would have gotten. You know, now that you mention that. Why couldn't he fix his hands? Yeah, his yeah. <laughs> hands were. Uh. And that's the weird thing that I think the series never fully addresses is after the third movie there's this running plot device that he's badly burned his hands and sometimes it seems like his hands were burned because he was escaping an angry mob of villagers and almost died they just needed to get well, him an assistant they yep, need an excuse to have an to assistant to have a likable second person yeah. yes and it's like in other movies he makes these comments like i think this happens in frankenstein and the monster from hell he makes a comment where he basically says that he burned his own hands in an experiment. And the, he says it in this offhanded way like, oh, yeah, I burned them. They're no good. <laughs> no yeah. trace He's of any so emotion. fucking demented. Oh, my gosh. And his eyes in that last one that we watched, Frankenstein Monster from Hell. Like, he, he's scary in that one. I yeah. think that's the one that he's legitimately scary in. And there's uh, that one scene. Frankenstein must be destroyed. Frankenstein must be destroyed. He's the meanest. Hence yeah. the title. It's, it's pretty demented. Basically, the plot is there's this doctor who is in an asylum, but who knows this medical formula that Frankenstein is determined to have. And the way that I think it breaks down is instead of just like, wanting to learn it from the guy he decides that he wants to harvest the guy's brain and one yeah. winds up blackmailing this young guy into being his assistant and he rapes veronica carlson's character in the film which i don't think we've talked about this at all but F dr frankenstein almost never has sex in these movies he does once in the first in the one, first one and he you're has like, like an you're affair like, with a maid whoa 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 yeah. well in the first one i i don't really feel he's still whoa, young. whoa whoa because he's still it's young. the introduction to him and yeah and he he's and it's not like he's in a romance he just needs somebody to clear his head every now and yeah. then yeah you know? <laughs> and i think because the frankenstein story is asexual it's a dude trying to make a person without a woman yeah, and yeah. and as we yeah. as we discussed yesterday with Bride of Frankenstein, it's two dudes trying to have a baby yeah. <laughs> in defiance of God. <laughs> but it is weird the way, I, and I think I I do agree with you. I don't think it's that weird that he has a sexual relationship in the first movie because it just stresses the ways in which he manipulates people. It's right. just another way for him to manipulate. But in Frankenstein, must be destroyed it doesn't make any real sense and everybody making the film was super pissed about it but the producer basically insisted that there had to be a rape scene to appease american audiences jesus fucking christ i thought yeah. it was i remember i mean i i could be mistaken well, i thought and it was, that's what i've heard i thought it was german audiences but it, american it was american ugh 
that sucks. But yeah, I can it see Frankenstein with a casual fuck buddy here and there. But if a Mrs. A ca- Frankenstein, a casual male fuck buddy. Yeah, I, I think. But but if a Mrs. or Mister like if if a actual partner, I would be like, this is weird. Frankenstein. Yeah, doesn't no, do that. Frankenstein doesn't have feelings for people. He's got feelings for parts of people. You think you think Frankenstein I don't know if enthusiasm to possess something is really a feeling. <laughs> do you think Frankenstein has some like? fleshlight thing he made that's why the a other one for have. frankenstein yeah he just like <laughs> he's got some lady parts that he put in the jar and he's like wait a second if, if i just put this on a thing if he can create a machine that captures your soul he can create a have, have you guys ever seen the website fucking machines.com it's it's terrifying. Don't go there, no, listeners. No, we've but seen it. Yeah, yeah. Yes. Well, Who do you think you're fucking talking yeah. to, Sam? Yeah. Come on, okay. now. we've spelunked in the yeah. darkest depths I of the internet. I don't yeah. like to assume, but th- I feel like in maybe a Japanese version of this movie, Doctor Frankenstein would have made a fortune creating those things. Oh my god! But oh with real gosh. human parts. That's what I mean. He had you know some cadavers, and he's looking. He's obviously not squeamish around dead people, so. That spinning thing's got to be charging. I up love something. that fucking spinning thing. <laughs> that's that's, that's, that's spinning is that all thing of them? Is off. Yeah, it I, is. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> when we were watching the the last one last night, I like was looking for it. You know, I'm like, where's my fucking little spinning thing? There's some like, undead hamster. <laughs> that he's been run, that run that thing running for around fifty years. <laughs> yeah. Hello. Who are you? Does it matter? <clears throat> oh no. What are you doing here? Is that important? Well, no, I suppose not. It's just, um, just that I have never seen you here before. Oh. Oh. You're very pretty. So they tell me. Huh? And who tells you? Men, I suppose. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I suppose you've uh, been with lots of men, hmm? And you have been with lots of girls. <laughs> of course. Do you want to come with me? Where? Anywhere. There's an empty house just around the corner. Oh, my gosh. Oh man, uh, that's my other favorite thing about these movies the is sets. the sets, and even with the Universal ones, probably with any of the great Frankenstein adaptations, the sets that's, are just that's so what it's all gorgeous. about. It's all about these fucking beakers with bubbling green with shit cool, in different it. kinds of cooling, yeah, and like fucking <laughs> eyeballs and jars, yeah. and yeah. like it's just it's you so cool, and him. like that goes back to why these are October movies. Like, I, I made a joke the other day when we were watching Frankenstein Created Woman when there's, like, or it might have been, I don't, who knows, I watched all these movies in a row, they're kind of mixed up, but there was a scene with a bunch of eyeballs in a jar, and my first thought was, they're just peeled grapes, yeah. <laughs> you know, because it's, it's, it's fucking it Halloween time. You, you know? notice every Hammer film seems to take place in the fall. Yes. Yeah, and even when they don't, it feels like they do, because they're all right. wearing their fucking overcoats and shit. Leaves mm. falling down. Ugh. Beautiful capes. They're, they're so fucking cool. And like, and, and not just the sets, but the fucking wardrobes that they're wearing are so cool. Peter Cushing, especially. 
Yeah. This he's guy, he's so sharp. He's such yeah, a sharp dresser. Dashing. You can say that he looks like a walking skeleton if you want, but I think Peter Cushing's kind of hot. Oh, no. I, I Absolutely. When I say he's a walking skeleton. You mean that as a compliment. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I mean, I love people who when you like see their face, you're like, oh, I know exactly what your skull looks like. It's like their skin is growing directly off the bone. You know, I love that shit. I really do. He's the most he is dashing. Yeah, he is. In in all of these movies, I mean, there are a lot of great non Frankenstein movies that he's in. At some point, we'll have to do an episode on the the Dracula series because oh he's, yeah, his, his Van, Van Helsing, Helsing is, is oh. oh he's so fucking cool. So I good. I prefer his Frankenstein and the Frankenstein series to the Dracula series, but like. Yeah, he's he's, he's still my favorite Van Helsing. He's my yeah. favorite Frankenstein. He's, he's my favorite Van Helsing. Yeah, he's Agreed. so good. I think that. So I said at the top of the show that like this time of year we want to hang out with Peter with Cushing, our, boys. Our, our October boys, Peter Cushing, Christopher. They're Lee, also Vincent our Price. May boys. May. So they all were born within two days of each other on May twenty fourth, May May twenty fifth. Yeah, and yeah. they were. <laughs> it's the <laughs> cutest thing ever. I think. If memory serves me correctly, I think Peter Cushing and Vincent Price are the 24th and Christopher Lee is the 25th. Oh, my God. I would love to see a picture of all them sitting around with those like pointy birthday hats on. They loved each other. Oh, that's so nice to hear. Yeah. Oh, that's great. AIP, American International Pictures, in the 70s were trying to kind of revitalize their horror movies. And so they sent Vincent Price over to make a bunch of horror films that are British co-productions. So he got to work with Christopher Lee and Peter Cushing. And I just wish the three of them were in every single movie together. Yeah, I, I just started saying that because I was going to say that, like, of the three, Peter Cushing's my favorite. But now that, like, we're talking about it, I'm like, I'm not fucking picking You don't have one. to pick. What's the one with Vincent Price, Peter Cushing? Uh, Madhouse? Yes. Oh, my God, they're yes. so good in it. And Scream and Scream Again has all three of them. Uh, House... Uh, of Long Shadows, which I was telling you guys recently is one of my favorites. It's like they're all pretty old. It's towards the end of some of their careers, but they're just having the fucking best time in it. So when I was a kid, I was kind of like you, where like Hammer, I was kind of apprehensive about it. Like it was just too slow, even though I loved like slower i loved like the original the flying yeah well i know by the time that i met you and we were teens you were i was fully assimilated but when i was like 10 my uncle showed me horror express yeah and that's what introduced me to peter cushing and christopher lee and telly savalas's chest hair Uh, absolutely and i feel like even though that's not a hammer movie it feels like it and it's a bit more fast-paced than them i feel like that's the perfect way to introduce a normie yeah it's a weird plot killer theme and just like, and it, it terrified me. I thought it was a scary movie when I was a kid. And it has some some of those great sort of sci-fi horror themes that uh, Quittermass yes. and The Pit yeah. have. Even if you're somebody who likes Doctor Who, there's some of those great crossover sci-fi weirdo psychotronic themes, even in some Hammer movies, definitely in the in these Frankenstein movies. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I, I think that might be why I kind of got... T- like into them eventually was because I started getting a taste for like old British Doctor Who episodes and also just like weird old shit. And I think Italian movies helped me with that too because they're more about 
the feeling that you get while watching them. This yes. like atmosphere is first. Yeah. Where, whereas with Italian films, it's like this dreamy psycho world that like you can't comprehend. And then in these, it's just this fucking gothic, foreboding, erotic. Oh, so erotic. They're so erotic. Even if people aren't having sex on screen or they're leaning over a table pouring a drink and yeah there's even a weird erotic energy throughout this frankenstein series it's just sort of like misplaced (laughs) yeah 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 it's not nearly as straightforward as the dracula films no especially as the dracula movies got on even the or the vampire movies without dracula like uh like twins of evil yeah vampire lovers yeah, Twins of Evil, They, another great Peter Cushing role, these two twins who are his nieces, and he plays this like religious fundamentalist witch finder. One of them pretty much leaves his house before she even becomes a vampire. She leaves because she wants to fuck. Yeah. And she hears that there's this like evil count who lives in the woods and throws orgies. She's like, I'm going to a party at that guy's house. I honestly, all my life, didn't, realize that British people fucked. I had no idea they, they just did don't that. Talk about it. I thought I thought they talked about it really quietly. Once in a like every thirty years, you know they lean I mean it. it's I the one of the great old seats of European paganism, which is all about fucking. It's Calvinism and Puritanism that ruined everything and then of course came to this country and ruined it further. Wait a second. It wait Calvinism came here. What well, I thought Calvinism was born here. No, it came when Jesus when the Christ. British were like, okay, these fucking people are too joyless even for us. You got to get on a boat and go across the Atlantic. Jesus Christ, that's where it came from. Wow, they send their fucking their prisoners to Australia, Australia and they send us their fucking religious zealot dickheads. I always felt like we just didn't see them talk about it because they were just. They did it casually, like they were more open about it. Yeah, I, I think so. I think our interpretation that they don't talk about it is because of American Calvinism. But right. if you watch a lot of like British television and oh, like, yeah, there like are plenty Mrs. of Poppy is out, like you know, doing yeah. her plants and she's just talking about slapping around, she's, no problem. She's getting you know? dogged by the mailman. Yeah, yeah, there, there's a lot of great. Uh, sexual humor I, yeah, in uh, British television. I think it, uh, I remember it's like over there, violence and entertainment is shunned, but sex is open. And over it, here, it, violence yeah. is all great, but fucking yeah. is for like, me oh my growing God. up. It was kind of like that with my parents. Oh, same here. Where same here. my my mom was like, "Listen, I don't care about this fucking violence and language. I just don't want you seeing boobies." Yeah, you my, know, my mom was the same. And exact. my dad was just like, you know, titty world five thousand. You know, that's no, that's no problem. I just don't want my son seeing fucking arms getting fucking ripped off and people saying, you know, fuck ball. So I would always ask that as a kid, like, why is it okay? And I grew up in a lot of different environments, but with my grandparents who I've talked about on past episodes, like my grandfather was a doctor and always welcomed, like ask whatever questions you want and I will answer them. Yeah. And I remember Dr. Frankenstein. Yes. But, but with a lot of empathy and feeling, uh, I remember asking repeatedly as a kid, like how come it's okay for TV to show these kinds of gory horror movies that I like, but people aren't allowed to be naked or have sex. And, 
they tried to explain, you know, religious conservatism and people, sex makes people uncomfortable. Meanwhile, you know, my grandparents had seven kids, so it's like, you know what yeah. they were doing. <laughs> what? Uh, mailing into the stork. Yeah, looking for storks, clearly. <laughs> Look at them, bloody Catholics, filling the bloody world up with bloody people they can't afford to bloody feed. What are we there? Protestant and fiercely proud of it. Why do they have so many children? Because every time they have sexual intercourse, they have to have a baby. But it's the same with us, Harry. What do you mean? Well, I mean, we've got two children and we've had sexual intercourse twice. That's not the point. We could have it any time we wanted. Really? Oh, yes. And what's more, because we don't believe in all that papist claptrap, we can take precautions. What do you mean? Lock the door? No, no. I mean, because we are members of the Protestant Reformed Church, which successfully challenged the autocratic power of the papacy in the mid-16th century, we can wear little rubber devices to prevent issue. What do you mean? I could, if I wanted, have sexual intercourse with you. Oh, yes, Harry. And, by wearing a rubber sheath over my old fella, I could ensure that when I came off, you would not be impregnated. Oh! That's what being a Protestant's all about. That's why it's the church for me. That's why it's the church for anyone who respects the individual and the individual's right to decide for him or herself. Are you guys aware that Hammer got the idea to do Frankenstein adaptations from Max Rosenberg and I think the other guy's Milton Spotsky? I probably am No, you said it right. Oh, really? Mm-hmm. Oh, wow, that's a first. Who the fuck are they? They uh, eventually made Amicus, who did all the uh, Tales from the Crypt, Vault of Horror, oh, Asylum. Yeah. Yo, I love Amicus. Were they uh, like a split-off thing from Hammer or were they just no, a different no. studio? No, they were, they were an, um, two Americans, weren't they? Because they made Horror Hotel over what? here in the no, States. No, no, no. Amicus ain't American. Well, so Milton's... No, Amicus is a British company, but Milton Sabotsky, who made Horror Hotel, I guess went over to England and was like, yo, I'm going into business making horror movies. Yeah, I mean, think they they made adaptations of American comics. Uh, Robert Block was their big writer. Oh, yeah, those are all American writers. Huh? They just wow. I fucking that's where uh, horror was getting made, and they. Yeah, we we will definitely have to do an episode on so the the like three great British horror studios: Hammer, obviously, I think most people know Amicus, who specialized in horror anthologies, but also did other cool stuff too, and Tygon. Who do all the fucking like weirdo Whoa. movies? Uh, Blood, Blood on Satan's Claw was yeah. a title. I've actually never seen that. Oh and I God, oh, that's a great so movie. Oh, we and should I've, watch that this season. And I've it's never fucking best. heard of Tygon. Yeah, they were. Wow. Yeah, they're what, what? like the. They did something. Beast in the Cellar was one of them. Yeah, like, they they did the movies that sort of veered more into exploitation territory. Like Blood on Satan's Claw definitely feels like more of an exploitation film for sure than the kind of gorgeous set and atmosphere focused movies that Hammer and Amicus were doing. Whoa, that's awesome. But anyway, back to Amicus or the pre-Amicus days, they brought this idea to Hammer and uh, Hammer acted like they weren't interested in it and then made the movie anyway, just stealing their idea. Wow. And eventually like they got something like $5,000 
for like giving them the idea. Wow, five grand out of the nine million that the movie made in nineteen fifty six. The movie also basically created, as we were talking about earlier, basically created Hammer's legacy. Yeah. So they. Yeah. But they really remind me a lot of Shaw Brothers in the way they operated, how they would steal ideas from people all the time and had this very small, close-knit group of cast and crew members who they used on every single film. Yeah, I think that's a very apt comparison to make. I mean, with Terrence Fisher as, like, the fucking... The greatest. Yeah, he, he made almost all the Frankenstein movies, like, save for, like, one or two of them. Uh... And most of the Draculas? Yeah. Yep. yeah. Freddie Francis was yeah. like the, the other one. Yeah. I definitely, I prefer Terrence Fisher to Freddie Francis. Freddie Francis, his movies look gorgeous. Like the third the third, third Frankenstein movie that he made. Is beautiful. It's stunning looking. And there's like some shots in it that I thought there was like a character that was like superimposed or like, or I don't know what they did. Like I thought he was like blended into the shot, and then he walked more into it. And I'm like, holy shit, everything is in focus. And like I don't know. I mean, my like little focus camera operator brain started like flashing off, and I was like, wow, this is gorgeous. But the third one's actually my least favorite in the series. I mean, I take it over Francis the second one. Definitely made some of the kind of like weirder Hammer movies. Like he wasn't as accomplished a director as Terrence Fisher, but most of his bread and butter was cinematography work. I mean, he worked that with everybody sense. from like David Lynch yeah. to he shot Elephant Man. Holy shit. That's yeah. why it looks so beautiful. Yeah. Oh, wow. Oh, that makes perfect sense. Yeah, he's he's a great cinematographer, but there there are those like you we might call them B-level hammer directors who were making movies more into the 70s and made some of yeah. the weirder stuff. Roy Ward Baker. I yeah, love so Roy Ward Baker. It's so, so funny. Fun. Like, I'm definitely not nearly as well-versed as you guys are in the Hammer world. But, like, now that I've seen more and more of these movies, when I see a name come up that's, like, doing, like, sound design, I'm like, oh, hey, it's that guy, you know? Like, which is the same feeling yeah. I get with Shaw Brothers. Like, yeah. now that I'm and getting deeper in those, I'm like, oh, it's same. all my fucking guys. All my guys are making my movies here, you know? And it's it's... I love that it that like tight happy. studio system where like, but also sh- both of them, Shaw Brothers and Hammer, they both have this like weird fairy tale vibe to them. Like they take place in a world that didn't really exist, which I love so much. It's like this, yeah, this very specific once upon a time vibe. universe. And of course, I might have to insist that we cover this next Halloween in some way. But they did team up for a co-production. Have, oh, yeah. I, have I made bleh. you watch Duh. it? Yeah, no, I've Legend seen it before. of the Seven Golden Vampires. Yeah. The Shaw Brothers Hammer mashup that like... They schlepped how Peter did... Cushing to China. I have <laughs> the uh, Seven Brothers Meet Dracula one sheet, and it's fantastic. It's that's gorgeous. That's so fucking I love cool. That movie so I mean, much. I'm not a religious guy, but that's that's a reason why there might be a higher power. If yeah. fucking Hammer and <laughs> Shaw Brothers came together, you I know? I think the higher power's name is Run Run Shaw. <laughs> Yeah, Run Run Shaw is my fucking god. Well, it's like <laughs> Hammer was kind of on its way out, and Shaw Brothers was trying to find a way to get in, and it was like that perfect. Yeah. Yeah. But uh, not to not to pull us all the way back to the beginning, but um, but something special about this one, this movie cinematography wise looks more grounded than the other. It's not. It's a lot less lurid than the yes. other ones. This, well, this one, that's why it feels less gothic and like... Yeah, it doesn't have those uh, and comic like book. And like big, 
uh, what's that like upper class in England back before like capitalism was the thing when they were like ba- he's a baron like the yeah. and that whole like serfdom fucking system or whatever. Well, it's set in a village. It's not set in castles. Right. Yes, yeah. It, it feels like this is about the people on like a such a smaller level. Yeah, but I feel like the camera work work is a bit more immediate feeling than just like master shots every, all the yes. time. But that's also. And I agree. That's one of the things that I think makes it so special. It also to jump back a second to what you were just talking about, that like fairy tale world. The thing that always struck me as so weird the first time I watched these is almost none of them are set in England. They're all set in this like made up central Europe. Yeah. That sometimes like I think the TCM description you read was that it was a Balkan village a yeah. lot of the time, it's supposed to be Germany. Totally, sometimes. It, it, it just feels like somewhere in Europe, you know. Once upon a time in Europe. Yeah, not just the Frankenstein. I think like the Gorgon is like that. Yep, the Dracula movies are like that as well. In the, it, it's like the British imagination of what Germany is like, which I think is really funny because the German creamy films are. All they're like this weird, if you've never heard of them, they're this weird mashup of mystery and thriller. They're like Scooby Doo exploitation movies, basically. But the creamy films are all made in Germany, but they're all set in England. So it's like happening at the same time that these Hammer movies are being made, and it's what Germans think London looks like. That's awesome. Yeah. I, I just love that, like, movies set in this universe that has never really existed. I mean, that's the fucking, it's the magic of movies, baby. It's, this one is probably, possibly my favorite. I'm with you, we're in The Monster from Hell. Yeah, I think they might be tied for me. I love the first one, too. It's been a while since i seen Must Be Destroyed. So yeah, the I, first two to me, I mean, I know they're obviously part of the same series. Peter Cushing is fucking Frankenstein, but... I like when they get weirder. I, I, I like when yeah. they get weirder, too. When but he's forced out of the, the castle and has to mingle with the regular people. But the first two, I mean, they're the ones that I actually go back to the most. Like, every year, I mean... I got to watch the first couple ones. Yeah, the first one feels the most Halloween time for me. Yeah. That's how I feel about Horror of Dracula is, to me, that's like the spirit of Halloween in a movie. With Peter Cushing in his red velvet jacket. It's strange because I enjoy all of them, but there's no... One and this stands for how good they are. There's no one that's like head and shoulders above. Oh the rest. no! Like there's no, no rain and yeah. blood of. I mean, of, of the Frankenstein's for sure. That's why they feel to me in a way like a serial or like a TV show. Yes, where they like, definitely feel like, like a serial. Each episode is kind of like a season condensed down or a series condensed down, and like each one's a little bit different from the one before it, but they all have this familiar feeling where they're comforting in a way it's because you've been assimilated yeah i'm in it now i'm fucking in this hammer brain they do feel continuous without being tied down to the previous one which yeah. is very yeah very loose very it's yeah, a good you way to show it. you can jump in at any point and not be terribly lost but you would benefit from having watched everything that came before it at the know? same time there was yeah. no like video stores back then it's not like oh the new one's coming out let me like catch up with the other four they kind of had to do it that well way. to be fair there's no fucking video stores around now well yeah that's true <laughs> all right yeah how do we watch movies I don't know. What a confusing world we live in. Nothing makes sense to me anymore. But now that we are talking about this series in particular, 
I think this might actually be a better place to start than the Dracula series because they they still have that great Victorian Gothic quality, but they are more demented in certain ways. Yeah. Like the f- the Dracula movies definitely get demented. The Dracula movies to me, they're the sexy ones. They're yeah. the ones that you want to watch on a date, you know? And these are the movies that you fucking you watch these with your boys when you're when you're all partying. Well, you know what's <laughs> what's really funny though is the Dracula ones, evil must be punished. But for the Frankenstein movies, for the series to continue on, you need him to get away, yeah. which is yeah. kind of sick. And I like I that. I love that how, I mean, Dracula starts off, he's a fucking superhero, supervillain, whatever you want to call him. In the Frankenstein movies, as they get go on, that's when he becomes superhero, supervillain, you know? Like, when he starts doing crazier and crazier shit, oh, like, no. even by the second one. My like, dude is a supervillain from the first movie. Yeah. He basically murders the the maid that he's having an affair with because she tries to blackmail him and says oh hey I'm pregnant with your child and in his head he's like oh I got another body I can harvest <laughs> dude is evil from the beginning you guys ever read the article about Peter Cushing ranting about the exorcist uh yes yeah. I haven't <laughs> so he he was going on like somebody asked because this was when he the exorcist a came sweet, out delicate man and and he's like, it just seems too much and too horrible. And I would never want to see something like that. He's like, I, I hear that it's very well done. But even if a piece of bathroom graffiti was well put together, I still wouldn't want to have that filth around me. Meanwhile, he went on to star in Corruption. <laughs> Yo, I've seen Corruption. Yeah, that's pretty nasty. That's yeah. Speaking of mad doctor roles, that movie is a full-on exploitation That's film. like his Jess Franco movie. It's basically, <laughs> but, yes. But to be, to be completely honest with you, I know I've been shit-dogging British people a little bit here, but when British people are fucking cutting up something they don't like, yeah. nobody does it better. Right. Nobody yeah. fucking tears you a new one like a British person. Like, Americans... We're too on the fucking nose. I mean, I I know for sure. I, I don't have an ounce of fucking subtlety in me. But like when British people start cutting you down, oh my god, fuck, when it hurts. His like verbal barbs throughout these movies, he just like rips people to shreds in a sentence. Oh, he's <laughs> so fucking like, cool oh. and so mean. He's so mean. Like I hate to say that he's cool because he's such a fucking scumbag, but like he's he's great. <laughs> yeah. Well, I can't ask, I suppose. Ask? You don't ask. You demand. But you've been the doctor here for the past 30 years, haven't you? You must know something about everyone in the village. Now, use that knowledge. I'm sure they've all got something they want to hide. And uh, when you have a soul, what then? I transfer it to another body. Body? Whose body? Bodies are easy to come by, souls are not. See you don't let me down. How many people in Star Wars puts Darth Vader in their place? Yeah, that's true. Peter Cushing did have that. Like he was on charge, yeah. in charge in that Death Star, like above even Darth Vader. That says yeah, something. Darth Vader was the fucking loser in a costume yeah. walking around. That acid tongue. Although speaking of, we should talk about Darth Vader. David Prowse, who plays Darth Vader, oh. is the monster in the last two Frankenstein movies. Yeah, when you pointed that out last night, that was such a shock. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, he looks fucking nuts. 
He does. I love that connection. He's in Clockwork Orange. He's uh, yeah. Patrick McGee's assistant, the big tall guy who lifts him around in Patrick his wheelchair. Patrick McGee is the most terrifying person who has ever Who's lived. Who's Patrick McGee? I'm sorry. You've seen a Clockwork Orange? Yeah. Oh. The writer? Yeah, yeah. yeah. And the black cat, the Fulci. Yes, yes, he's in the yeah, black yeah, cat. Yeah, he's yeah. great. In the yeah, I love that Patrick guy McGee. Looks he's fucked up. He's yeah, awesome. But he's oh, my in, uh, God. He knows how to use it. He's in Baravchik's Strange Case of Dr. Jekyll and Miss Osborne, which yeah. I'll make You've you been, watch at some yes. point. Yeah, yeah, I yeah. yeah. That. so insane. Was it Arrow that put that out? I've seen it. Yes, uh, it's so good. We got a fucking list for this October. We do. You know, we're just getting started now. I'm we had excited. We had our Frankenstein marathon. We kicked it all off. Yeah. We, we ate some Frankenberry and some Booberry and some Reese's Bats. John, you did a fucking number on those Reese's Bats. I only ate like two of them. I was eating the pumpkins the most. Oh, oh, oh the Reese's pumpkins. Yeah, 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 yeah. And the Kit Kat witches. Did oh I... God, God bless those fucking witches. Should I, should I tell everybody my my Halloween sandwich? Yeah. No. You get the two yeah. two Reese's, either the Reese's bats or the pumpkins. You know your choice, and then you get the witches brew. It says green, delicious Kit Kats. So you use the Reese's as the bread. The the Kit Kat is the meat, and you just eat it. And John, I am phenomenal. absolutely <laughs> editing this out. <laughs> there is way. no Why? way I'm putting this out in the world. It has to go in the. Yeah, episode. I want I want by the end of October the the my Halloween sandwich to be the internet sensation of Halloween 2020. And you have to dunk it in hot apple cider with whiskey, which we may have had too much of last night. <laughs> I love yeah. how like fucking British people want to colonize every goddamn country they look at, but they would never in a million years say what you just said, John. Excuse they have me. too much dignity for that. You're talking about people who eat meat pies and make some of the most like heinous culinary combinations they're they're known for having like the worst food in the entire world well that's just no, because even, they don't have salt over not, there not even that i just talked about making a sandwich out of sugar and my teeth still look better than all theirs <laughs> oh. uh, all right any uh, anything else on the uh, hammer docket you guys want to touch on so hammer is one of those things that i sometimes struggle to talk about like i've done a few hammer commentaries at this point with for my old blog i watched and reviewed every single hammer horror movie but we've talked about it on this episode but i feel like when you try to engage with horror fans about hammer in my experience it's like two ends of the spectrum one is the sort of horror bros we were talking about earlier who think Hammer's boring. But then there are the extreme Hammer fans who are like dudes in their 50s who just hate anyone touching their precious oh, they, Hammer. Oh, they own it. Yeah, it's theirs. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's yeah. yeah, that's a type of geek in every... Yeah, I, I imagine the Hammer ones are a little bit different because in in like other gore flicks that we like that kind of geek that owns you know gory movies and will like you know die on whatever hill they want yeah there's a range of age for them you know you yeah. have your yes. young ones your older ones but because hammer and you're right there aren't a lot of people our age who are as excited about hammer films as we are i mean of course they exist but it is something that is sort of yeah kind i've of had an older boomer i've, I've thing, talked you know? about this in other podcasts and uh, for anyone who's followed me on social media uh, i'm sure this has come up but i've had some really some of my worst experiences oh, yeah. oh my gosh sam can you can you regale us with uh, the, uh 
You know what I'm the, saying, The worst right? ever story. Yeah. So I've had some really awful experiences with Hammer fans when it was announced that my friend Kat and I were going to do a commentary for the Gorgon. There, So I used to be on <laughs> Facebook and wound up leaving because, you know, it's <laughs> it's horrible and it's just a cesspool. Sorry, I'm laughing. But yeah, no, this story is funny. I mean, I think it's funny. It's not funny. I mean, it's kind of fucked up, but... So there's this hammer facebook group that has like a pretty huge following and somebody of course anytime a new hammer movie is announced that it's going to get a blu-ray release they post about it in there people of course are excited other people are critical like oh why doesn't it have this and why doesn't it have that like every single blu-ray group but they got so upset that women were doing a commentary track on the Gorgon that, like, they basically wound up harassing Kat for years afterwards on the internet, which is a whole different topic. But this one guy, I will never forget this comment as long as I live. In total serious, this guy wrote, I don't understand why I would want to listen to women give their opinions on Hammer movies. I already know what my wife thinks. <laughs> fucking dickhead wow yeah but was totally serious and was like upset that we were doing yeah i mean i'm i'm laughing not because i think that like that shit's funny or cool it's just that like you live in a deranged world with these type of people yeah like Like, we're so yeah yeah, we're surrounded by these fucking people and it's only a matter of time before fucking dr frankenstein takes their brains out and puts proper ones in there. Oh, yeah. I was going to say, I don't think he wants their brains. No, 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 no. (laughs) Those brains are going right into the fucking trash. Yeah. So what we really need in this world are more regular weirdo Hammer fans. Not the horror bros who think it's too boring. Not these, like, mouth-breathing boomers who have never seen a vagina in person but have a lot of opinions about what women should and shouldn't be doing. We we need just like psychotronic weirdos who mm. fall in love with Peter Cushing's Dr. Frankenstein hand-chopping, soul-stealing maniac. Yeah. Imagine having such like a sad, sexless life that you think like all women think the same exact thing. Like, I'm a fat weirdo who eats Frankenberry in my underwear while watching old Doctor Who. And like I'm still like oh I've experienced women before and now it's like, <laughs> you know <laughs> yeah and, uh, <laughs> and just I mean the idea like uh, really the idea of ownership over any of this shit any of this shit we're fucking talking about it's not ours we yeah. love it it makes we me crazy fucking that's the whole reason we do something like this yeah like fuck dude like going on the goddamn crusades for fucking movies like jesus fucking christ do that shit over something that matters like fucking getting a raise at work or something and like it's the way for that thing you love to survive for generations like you can't just lock it in your basement yes well that also and i don't talk about this as often because it you know doesn't go over very well but my number one pet peeve is not even just horror fans being possessed or movie fans being possessive of a certain thing. It's other film critics who act like they own a subgenre or a type of film. Like you're going to die at some point. Somebody else either has a different, interesting perspective, or maybe we just want this to continue on for a new generation of film fans. But like, you didn't make the film. Who cares if other people write about it or 
program marathons or events like damn so that's when you tell me about that shit because i'm like not in that world at all Uh, like i'm in john's world with the underwear and the fucking cereal and your belly button (laughs) but like but like you're you know an accomplished film scholar and like you are bumping shoulders with other accomplished film scholars and like yeah but most of them are kind of awful which is why that's what i'm saying is that like some of the fucking like petty shit that you tell me about is like Damn, I don't even fucking do that shit when I have like jobs at fucking like shitty places that I work at. Like people, uh, yeah. I don't know. Like, and it's just it's, it's very frustrating. And I think ideally for me, our podcast recording and you know the people who have interacted with us so far, it's like this nice little commune yeah. of people. Maybe who this are just is church. Hyped. This is yes. yeah. This is. I'm curious if you'd never put your face out there and you published under sam deegan with one m as a dude i did that for a long time oh wow is it and is it different is it totally different different. so when i had my blog my first blog years ago and everybody thought i was a dude i had these women attack me because I did a series on the golden age of porn and I covered all these uh, Radley Metzger movies. I had all these women attack me over you're a misogynist and how dare you write about this. And I was like, you didn't even bother to find out my fucking gender. Like I'm female. Also, it shouldn't matter because I talked about things the way I do now. And when they found out that I was female, then it was, like no one knew how to respond (laughs) wow so you know you get it from both sides (laughs) and honestly the i think male hammer fans aside probably some of the worst treatment i've received has been from other female film critics so you know it's just a difficult area where people are really possessive and and that's why like i mean sexism is definitely tied to it oh sure but like there is a a like I guess not deeper, but a more surface level reaction to just when anyone is talking about your thing. You know, it's are you talking about it the right way? Totally. And like, like, I mean, and and that's also happens because like in the left and in like leftist circles that I kind of pedal around in. Yeah. Is there's a constant policing of the language, which like in some ways is important because language does have fucking power. But also it's like wait a second, we're trying to fucking build something here and we can't stop bickering over yes. what's his, what sometimes feels like Petty. nothing. And it's like, listen, we're trying to fucking usher in a goddamn, you know, class revolution here. We're trying to get the fucking some, some heads on some bikes, you know? Like, what the fuck? Like, why can't we just have a goddamn picnic without canceling each other, you know? And that, I think it's that same spirit that frustrates me so much in political communities as it does in film communities and i think there's a lot of crossover between the two like i think a lot of these mouth breathers i was mentioning earlier are people who are anti-vaxxers who are politically either liberal shitheads or conservative and so i i think there is a lot of the same kind of spirit yeah there's a quote that i heard a long time ago that i live by and it's high school never ends that's amen to that. Yeah. I, I, it, it, once I heard that, I was Jesus like, actually, Jesus Christ. Come Christ. on. I just got over that fucking trauma. Yes. But 
if you're in high school in a Hammer movie, it means that you're in a lesbian vampire movie and chances are you're going to make out with your dorm mate and then she's going to bite you and turn you into a vampire and then you get to go party at orgies. Gosh. Yeah, we have to do a, a Dracula or, oh, we're gonna. or one of the vampire movies next Halloween. All right. I think we're ready to wrap it up. Any any shout outs or anything like that you guys yeah. got in your docket? Yeah, I do. Um, shout out to Lance and Erica of Unsung Horrors. They had me on to talk about Friday the 13th, The Orphan. Yet another Friday the 13th movie where Jason's not the killer. Wait. It's a it's a, another movie that just happens to have Friday the 13th in the title. Oh, it's is it Friday like some 13th. Italian bullshit? No, no, no. It was made in the 70s. It was earlier than Friday the 13th. And, the, and they actually got paid money when Friday the 13th came out so that Sean Cunningham could use the title. Yeah. That's Yo. awesome. I fucking love that show. Uh, shout out to my homie uh, Tad Good of First Watch. Uh, it's a great podcast where it's either him or his guest are talking about a movie they've never seen before. So it's sort of like that way of like, oh, I like this movie. I think you'll like it. Oh, f- uh, first time? or First time, question mark. Yeah, podcast. yeah, yeah. And uh, we did Manhunter. He had never seen it before. And he loved it. Thank God. And uh, <laughs> Yeah, you would have had to Dr. Frankenstein him if he didn't <laughs> like it. <laughs> and uh, yeah, we had I had a lot of fun doing that. Damn, baby, look at you making the rounds. And uh, my uh, friends at Attack of the Killer podcast gave us a shout out. They listened to our show and they told Yo, their what listeners. what fucking kings. Yeah. What kings? Yeah. So nice. I think my only shout out that's on my brain right now is recently I was on Cult Movies podcast to talk about Jean Cocteau and his adaptation of Beauty and the Beast and sort of weird surrealist fantasy films from the 30s and 40s. And, uh, you know, he constantly is giving us really nice shout outs on social media. So thank you. You should do some casting. It's fun. Absolutely not. No way. You're Why more not? personable than we are. Yeah, but I, I don't know. It's, I don't want to. It's do really this hard. The very it. first time I did it, I felt like I was off because it was the first time I recorded something where I was not in the room with anybody, and I just felt weird. This is this is enough for me, guys. I mean, like you guys are the fucking movie heads. I just like fucking hanging out with my friends, drinking a little booze, and sitting I think around and chatting. I don't know. Try it once. You should do it once. You have to keep your schedule clear so that we can go to a whole bunch of haunted houses. Yeah, we're fucking in patches. I'm busy, baby. I gotta go to fucking Six Flags, you know, Fright Fest. Today, I'm just (laughs) (laughs) mad. All right. That was fun. That was really fun. Sick. I love your cushion. Yo, should we let everybody know we're going to have more October episodes? It's going to get everybody in the season. Nah, nah, nah. Just let them. No? Let them wonder. All let them right. wonder what we Well, got. I mean, no, no, not tell them, but just let them know. Yeah, we got some stuff yeah, coming up. Some good, some 